Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you have all authority and all power. I thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest in this meeting, Lord. Holy Spirit, we continue to cry that your presence would come in strong ways, Lord. Lord, that we would come together and that you would take over, and that your glory would begin to rest on us as a body, as a church, and again as a nation. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you could go to Genesis 3. Today, I wanna, we just come out of a series called Tending the Fire of God in Your Heart. Today, I've got one week, and then we've got something else we're going to do next week. So it's not often I preach one week, one issue. You know, we always try to do series. That's just my personal favorite. But I want to speak today about knowing God about the presence of God. It's not something that I can really do justice because no one knows God like they can. No one, he's so big, he's so expansive, he's so large. But I want to speak about the presence of God. It's probably, I would say, one of my favorite topics to speak about. Maybe that an identity, as you well know if you're in this church. And, um, but the presence of God, all my life I've longed for the presence of God. I've longed for, there's such a depth to God. There really, really is. And I've realized, I was saying to my wife earlier today, there's such a burning and desire in me to see people just build a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because not so much for them, yes, I want them to be free, but more so because he paid a price and because of my love for him. You know, it's the, uh, when the Moravians, if some of you know the Moravians, the people who gave their life, as the ship was leaving port and those men never got to do what they were called to do because they all died. And, but the Moravians, the people who sold themselves into slavery to reach slaves, when they were leaving, they shouted off the helm of the ship that the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering. It wasn't so much about the people being saved. It was that the lamb may receive the reward for which he suffered, which is people. And there's a longing in my heart for that, and I realize that a lot of the time why people struggle or get offended or whatever at God is simply because they don't understand Him. It really is that simple. They don't understand Him. They don't understand the covenant they're under. They don't understand the gospel. And it's for lack of knowledge, knowledge that people perish. That's what the Bible says. So I want to try to talk about it. I wrote you in God's presence, when the weightiness of God comes, we cannot be flippant, we cannot be casual or indifferent. We all know that when the weightiness of God comes into a room, we cannot be just, well, you know, it's just whatever. That whole attitude disappears. Just disappears. And I wrote you, please don't ever limit God's presence to a feeling. Please. He can be felt. If anyone tells you God's presence you cannot feel, that's a lie. He can be felt. Physically on your body, you can feel the presence of God. But don't limit it to a feeling, please. He's much bigger than that. Because then what happens is God's awareness and God's moving in a meeting or God's activity in a person becomes up to you and how you feel. And if that's not limiting God, I don't know what is. So I've seen many people, they leave a meeting. I was just enraptured in worship. And they leave a meeting and literally this attitude, oh, you know, the presence of the Lord wasn't there. God wasn't really there today. And it, it boggles the mind because we're two or more gathered. It's not about feeling. You can absolutely feel Him, but don't limit it to that, please. The presence of God is far bigger than that, far beyond that, far beyond that. 
far beyond that. Sometimes the presence of God can come simply through truth, through revelation. Who of you have ever sat and read the Bible and truth comes into your heart and, you want to, and it's like breathe life into your spirit. You suddenly wake up, you become alive inside, you're like, wow, look at this, and you get excited. It's a form of the presence of God in your body. It comes through revelation. I know God is, I'm just going to read this just to get through this. I know God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. But there is also the presence of God that comes into a meeting, on a person, on a church, or even over a nation. And that's different. The presence of God so came in Wesley's day, John Charles Wesley in England, it so descended upon a nation that when the ships came into port, when they came into the coastal waters and they just came near the harbor, as they crossed a certain barrier in the spirit, in a sense, the people on the ship would fall out under the presence of God, saved, unsaved, regardless, because of the presence of God over a nation. And that can happen on a person. It can happen in a church. And unfortunately what happens, as soon as I start speaking about the presence of God, some people shut off because they think, well, I'm not sensitive like that. I don't know God like that. Friends, it's a belief issue, not a, not a sin issue. There's something about God that we've got wrong. There's something about God that we haven't understood. There's something about God that hasn't been revealed into our heart. A truth hasn't aligned. If it was a sin issue that prevents God's presence from you, no one would feel God's presence ever. Ever. It's a belief issue. I wrote here, we are designed... For the sole purpose of carrying the image of God. I believe that with all my heart. We are designed to carry His image. And that is the presence of God. The greatest expressions you see, in the, in, mostly in the Old Testament, of God's presence is mostly when He inhabits what He designs. And I don't want to go into this because I've preached on it before. He designed the tabernacle. God's inhabitation of the tabernacle through the ark and through the presence and everything, you see such incredible manifestations of his presence. Why? Because it's inhabiting what he designed. When God inhabited what he designed, which is the temple under Solomon, it says the presence of God came so that the priests couldn't stand to minister because he, he was inhabiting what he designed. He designed you in his image. He fits you the best. You have to understand this. He fits you the best because you look like him. And you are now the temple. Which means you are called as a people to be carriers of something and of someone. Because it should be the greatest expression we see of the presence of God on the earth today. Through people. Because we are now the temple. Hello? You were designed for it. Your very existence is designed around carrying the presence of God. And we've, we've, we've shut it down to gifting and to preaching and to anointings, friends. It's so much more than all of that. So much more. So beyond that. Because it's His person. All of that God is, is in His presence. Everything of God comes when His presence comes. And it can be from that extreme example of Charles Wesley to this young believer who's just got saved, who's pray, who knows how to pray for three minutes a day and says, Lord, just teach me your presence. I just want to know your word. To that expression of his presence. Both are God. 
The word presence comes from the word, actually I wrote this, let me read this to you. Um, we were designed to carry the presence of God and everyone wants a formula but it won't work because it's relationally based. So we've had all these teachings and all these seminars on how to get into presence and how to do this and that, and that helps and works for some but it's a relational issue. It has to be worked out by you. By you. It can, I cannot work it out for my wife. The word presence is the word panayim, which means faith. So let's go to Galatians, uh, Genesis 3. We've got to just look at a few people in the Bible. We're going to start in the very beginning, because that's a good, very good place to start. I just quoted the sound of music for those of you who caught that. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, just to see if you guys are alive. Let's go to verse uh, 6. This is obviously a well-worn text. I don't want to spend too much time in all the other things that we could talk about just for one single purpose here. When the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree that is desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves for themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? I believe with all my heart, that Adam and Eve knew nothing apart from the presence of the Lord. They knew nothing apart from it. The first face, presence means face. The first face Adam saw was God's. The first face Eve saw was God's. It says God brought Eve to Adam. They knew nothing apart from the presence of the Lord. Yet the first time we see the phrase, the presence of the Lord, hermeneutical principle, the law first mentioned in the Bible, is a negative context. Someone hid from it. Why? Why? Because they just partaken. They had just eaten. So what had just happened is the way that seems right to a man, which leads to death, the way that seems right to a man was just born. The carnal mind was born. Human reasoning, fallen human wisdom was just born in that moment. We have to understand it was instant. Fallen human wisdom was suddenly born. And the first decision they make with fallen human wisdom, I've said before and I'll say it again, all the devil was Attempting Adam with, he was trying to tempt Adam with something he already was. He said, as if you do this, you'll be like God. He was already was like God. He was made in his image. He was perfect. He was without sin. He wasn't God, but he was in his likeness, in his image. He was tempting him with something he was. He tricked Adam, we know the story, and he ate of the tree. Fallen human wisdom is born. The way that seems right to a man is born. And all of a sudden, the first decision they make is to hide from the presence of God, to hide from the Creator amidst his creation. And I believe with all my heart that when he said, where are you? It's not that he couldn't find him. I believe he was asking him a heart location question. Where is your heart that you would hide? So it's the first thing that we see that happens in the presence of God. Someone hid from the presence of God. That word hid means to harden or to withdraw. To harden or to withdraw. All this was born, the first decision they made with this wisdom that they required or acquired was to hide from the Creator amidst His creation. And it's interesting to me is that God asked them a question. Who told you that you were naked? 
Jesus said, a stranger's voice you will not follow. They followed a stranger's voice. And God said, who? Who told you this? It wasn't, why did you? You shouldn't have. You were. Who told you that you were naked? And what's interesting is one of the things that entered was shame. Genesis 2.25. I don't think we can, as humans, understand this text. They were both naked and they felt no shame. I don't even want to begin to understand the depths of what that can actually mean. I mean, it's phenomenal. They were both naked. They had no shame. It says we hid because we were afraid. Shame had entered. Hebrews 12. I think I wrote it down here somewhere. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, despising its shame. Jesus became sin. Jesus became shame so that at the cross that could be dealt with so we could be restored back to what originally was. He dealt with shame. And yet many believers still act like that today. As soon as they make a mistake, as soon as they do something, as soon as they, they run from God instead of toward God. They deal with shame. Many believers, I speak to them, filled with guilt, filled with shame. It's a lack of an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wrote you uh, somewhere. In any area of your life, I can't find it, in any single area of your life where you feel shame, where you want to withdraw, or you want to hide from God because of something that you've done or didn't do or something, you've believed the lie. In any area. You've believed the lie. In any area of your life where you want to withdraw, they hid, they withdrew, where you allow your heart to be hardened, or will you deal with shame? In that area, you believe the lie about the Father. That's what happened in Genesis. They believed they followed a stranger's voice, lie came in, human reasoning, they made a decision. The Bible says that the, the mind driven by the flesh is enmity. It's an enemy of God. They made a decision from a carnal mind, and they withdrew from the very source of life itself. And I see it every day in the church. We have the same reaction. I've heard so many people say, I can never sense the presence of God. And again, I say, it's a belief issue, not a sin issue. It's a belief issue. Because there's a system of belief that is lacking. There's a system of truth that comes to set free, that sheds abroad the love of God into our heart and sets us free and continues to set us free and continues to set us free. That's why I say it and I'll say it again. Sanctification is not about becoming better. We have to get that, friends. It's not about becoming morally better. That's the result. Sanctification, John 17, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is about becoming freer. And the result of freedom is your desires change, your hearts change, because truth sets free. Sanctify them with truth. You become freer and freer and freer, and the result is your morality changes, your behavior changes, your heart desires change completely, because it's not freedom for me to look at something and say, I can't do that because it's bad and then I'll be in trouble. It's freedom to look at that and say, I have no desire for that anymore. Amen. That's freedom. And that started in the garden, that kind of thinking. It started there. Why? Because they hid from the presence of the Lord. Let's go a little further. Turn the page. Cain. It's one of the most tragic verses in Scripture. I believe it's, it's, it's showing us what hell on earth was like. When Jesus comes back 
and it's describing the punishment that will come in a sense a form of hell in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 it actually says they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord they will be removed from in Genesis 4 verse 16 we know the story of Cain and Abel I don't want to take the time it says then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord that is absolutely tragic he departed completely from the presence of the Lord and he went and dwelt in the land of Nod. You know what Nod means? Wandering, not wandering as in thinking, W-A, wandering about. Is no purpose. Absolutely no purpose. Today we live in the most purposeless, they've, I've read some studies, we live in, they say, one of the most purposeless generations the world has ever seen. The rate of suicide, depression, anxiety and stress, even at a young age, are off the charts. And they say it's largely because of a lack of purpose. I say it's because of a lack of God's presence in the nation, in the church, in the home, in the life. It's a lack of the presence of God. It's a lack of a belief system. It's a lack of truth in the home, belief system in the home, in the church. And so you see this purposeless generation and they're just wandering about because when you get into the presence of God, when you start to get into the presence of God, divine purpose is born into your heart. Divine purpose, purpose that's not from earth, is born into your heart. And it's not so much about, oh, I feel the presence of God so now I can quit my job and go into the ministry. No, 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 that may be for some. It's not about that. Divine purpose, all of a sudden, your vocation becomes your your, your mission field, your calling, your career becomes your calling, your, the family gatherings that you have. It's not something that you now want to get out of. That we, all, you know, we don't want to go to family gatherings. We do. We have a great family. But family gatherings are not something that you want to get out of. It's something that you have an opportunity to step in so that you can let your light so shine before men. Because you have purpose in your life. Simply because of the presence of Jesus Christ in your heart. <coughs> It does far more than you think, friends. It's not about a feeling and goosebumps and then we leave. Please understand, it puts divine purpose into you. And when you find a person that departs from the presence of God, they just wander. They're aimless. Dwayne spoke about finances. Uh, it's not in the notes. But you know that finances are a catalyst of power in the Bible. It says, if you're faithful with these riches, I will give you true riches. And he's talking about people and the power of the Spirit. How you deal with these things, I will release these things to you. It's very hard to be faithful with these things if there's no purpose. <laughs> when you spend time with the Lord, purpose begins to fill your life. That's how you can serve. And you don't serve for man, you serve for Him. Because there's a sense of purpose to it. Because you've fallen in love with the one whose heart is in your heart. It comes from His presence comes from his person, comes from his spirit in the most simple things. It's not always crazy, look at that guy, he flew across the room because of the power of God. That's awesome and I love that and bring that on. You know, I was raised with that and I long for that. But it's like we've got to go back to just his presence. The gospel was preached first to who? To Abraham. Galatians 3, the gospel was preached in advance to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? I will give you this, I will give you this, I will do this, I will do this. But above all of that, I am your great reward. Me. I am your great reward. 
That's the very heart of the gospel. That's how Abraham can go to Lot and say, Lot, you choose. You can take the, the fruitful place. You can take the desert. You choose whatever you want because wherever I go, I have him and that's all I need. Friends, it sounds cliched. There are some sitting here who know what I'm talking about. And there's not one cent, there's not $10 billion cannot buy one second of God's presence. And 10 minutes in God's presence will change your entire perspective. 10 minutes in God's presence can shift things that you need 30 years of counseling. And we've become flippant with it sometimes. Not here at our church, as a people, as, a, as Christians. It's just, well, you know, it was kind of strong today. Kind of weak today, I'm not a lot of presence. Friends, it's God Himself. It's God. And when He comes, He comes. Anyway, no purpose. We see Jesus does the opposite. Luke chapter 10. I'm sorry, I'm just quoting for the sake of time. Luke chapter 10. It's a, it's a very curious wording. It says, He appointed 72. He appointed, He reestablished purpose. Part of the Great Commission is to give you purpose. He appointed the 72 to go out. He says he sent them out before his face. Curious wording. Presence in the Old Testament means face. He sent them out before his face. He gave them purpose in his presence. I send you out with purpose in my presence to go everywhere where I'm just about to come. He restored purpose. He sent them out before his face. He was trying to restore, just like he did with shame, what happened with Cain, what happened in the garden, what was lost. The result of being in the presence of God, not going to God what I can get for him, just go to him for him, as I said, because divine purpose is born. What about, let's go to Exodus. Very famous chapter. We know this chapter, Exodus 33. The reason I preach this stuff, friends, is not... I hope to encourage you because there's such a longing in our hearts and there's only one thing that will change a nation, a heart, a family, or a marriage, or a child, is the presence of the Lord in some regard or so. Obviously, truth, but that comes through that is to get in his presence, to get in his presence, to get in his presence, to get in his presence. And unfortunately, because we're so, we have this fallen human wisdom that is a stranger's voice most of the time, and we are learning to understand and hear the voice of the Lord and put off the old man like we've been speaking, because that's actually a false identity. It's not even who you are. We make decisions based from a presenceless life. Hello? And then we get offended at God and mad at God. I believe with all my heart, I don't know why I feel God, the Holy Spirit, pulling me to say this. Who knows you can grow in favor? The Bible says Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. Samuel grew in favor with God and with man. You're all giving favor, but you can grow in favor. What is the thing that causes you to grow with fa in favor with God? Favor is you, before you even go somewhere, it's just all happening for you. It's just divine favor. Some people are like that. Sam Ottoman wherever he is. It's just a divine favor upon his life. What causes you to grow in favor? I believe with all my heart is to remain unoffended at God. To remain unoffended at the Lord. I believe it with all my heart. 
when you understand, when you don't understand, when you like it, when you don't like it. Whatever the case, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't even agree with it. But you are the Lord God Almighty. You are the Alpha, the Omega. Let's go to verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace, and you have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now. I'm in 33 verse uh, 13. Therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. You know God answered that prayer. Psalm 103, Moses knew his ways, Israel knew his deeds. God answered that prayer. Show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For then how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we will be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So we will be separate. Another aspect of the presence of God, the true, authentic presence of God, is a word that people don't like to use called holiness. Holiness. Holiness is not being perfect. It's being set apart. When you get into the presence of God, there's a set-apartedness. That's a word. Thanks, Dad. I'm, I really am your son. There's a set-apartness that is birthed in your heart. And it can only happen from the presence of the Lord. People cannot convince you to it, and you can try, and you can fail, and you can try, and you can fail. But you get into the presence of God. The stuff of the world, the stuff that seems to grab all your attention, suddenly loses its interest. You know, it actually says it in Isaiah 9, I think it's verse 1. It says, the idols of Egypt will totter, fall over in His presence. Egypt represents what? The world. The things that the world hold in high esteem that come to attract and to grab the attention of the church so that we look exactly like the world except we have a different belief system. All those things will come crashing down at His presence, the Bible says. And all of a sudden the affections of our heart and the desires of our heart and things change just because we've been with Him. And what is the result? A holy people. Not a perfect people, not all dressed the same. We have this weird issue like cult vibe of holiness. A holy people, a set-apart people, set apart unto His purposes. And the church can once again look different to the world because we've called again on His presence. We've said, Lord, let Your presence come because when the idols leave, then You again take first place in my heart. Only happens at His presence. When his presence comes, the things fall. It's so simple. It's too simple. We've complicated it. Just be with him. Spend time with him. And that looks different for every single person. Then he says, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The word rest there is the word nuach. It's a derivative of, of the word ruach. Anyone who knows the Bible, who studies Hebrew, knows Ruach is the actual word for the Spirit. 
It's a word for the Spirit, the breath of God. You know when the Bible says that we just read it, when God walked in the cool of the day, that word cool is ruach. He walked in the cool of the Spirit of the day. And it's that word rest, he says, I will give you rest. And what he's trying to say, because a Hebrew person would understand, the rest will not mean that you, rest will not come from doing nothing. It'll come from a deep inner peace that comes into your heart. Well, you can maybe be as busy as you want, but the breath of my spirit will be in your heart. The presence of my, my person will be on your body, will be in your mind, will be in your heart. And that will bring inner peace to your spirit man, to your inner person. And you will have rest regardless of what's going on around you. And you will be set free from everything that surrounds you. I'm going to keep saying this. I'm going to keep saying it. Partly, most people believe that Jesus came to die for our sin so we can go to heaven. Please understand that's such a limited understanding. The Bible says in Galatians 1 that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. That's talking about here, friends. Here, here, here. That you are called to be set free from everything and everyone that surrounds you. And it's showing us that the thing that sets you free from that is obviously the truth, but it's the presence of God in your life. And when the presence of God is in your life, everything changes. The desires, the affections, the emotions become submitted to the Spirit. Everything shifts and changes, and I'm suddenly free from everything that surrounds me. Because the gospel, the truth of God, has taken root in my heart. The nuach. The, the breath of God's Spirit, the supernatural rest, has come into my being so that even when life is crazy, inside I'm calm. Inside I'm at peace. Inside I'm at rest. That comes from His presence. It comes from His presence. I'm getting a punch to the air, which is a good sign, I think. Elsie wants to hit me. I'm just kidding. I will give you rest. And what's the result of that? Nothing else will satisfy. What is the one thing you want when you leave the presence of God? More of the presence of God. That's, there's nothing else like it. Nothing like it. Not on the face of the earth. Because it's supernatural in origin. It touches every part of you because you were designed for it. You were actually designed as a living, breathing mechanism to literally host and carry the presence of God every single day. It's what you were designed for. And the only reason why we don't and why we don't think is we've been so overtaught and we've been taught out of it and pushed out of it and hurt out of it. Yet a child will know this. A child will understand this. Easy for a child. And then he says... How then will it be known that I may have found grace in your sight? That's an incredible blessed truth of the new covenant within. Every single person sitting here has found grace in his sight because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you are free. You are free. You have peace with God, Romans 5 says. You have peace with God as you sit here. You, are, you have a friendly sky over your head. Peace with God. And yet we run. We make a mistake, we run. We go back to the old husband, which is the law, because we feel like we've got to be beaten up because our other husband, our maker, Christ, that wields righteousness over us, we don't feel like we deserve him. You don't. That's the point. That's why it's called good news. So the presence of God can invade your life, your body, your heart, and set you free from people, set you free from the world, and you have an inner peace, and you have a rest, and you have purpose, and you don't have to have deal with shame and a hardened heart. You don't have to withdraw. You don't have to because of his presence. 
That's why revivals, you look at a revival, the people get hit and powered by the presence of the Lord, and they come up different. It's not so much that they come up in power. What is the one major sign of revival? Repentance. It's not, I'm so sorry, beat me. It's, I have no interest in the world anymore. Because the presence of God has come upon them. What about David? What's the time here? We've got some time. What about David? Psalm 51. We all know what happened. He did way worse things than Saul. And I said this here the other day, but I'm going to keep saying it. Saul lost his kingdom. I mean, he didn't kill some sheep. It's not a big deal. You know, I read that Saul didn't kill all the animals. I'm like, really, Lord? I mean, that's not such a big deal. We know he obeyed. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But according to what David did, killed a man, slept with his wife, lied about it. I mean, incredible. He watched Saul lose the kingdom because of what Saul did. Saul did a less thing. So David's there watching, remembering. Oh, gosh, this is what Saul did. And he got his kingdom taken away. If David was a normal man like us, which he was, I assume he would have thought, now I'm going to lose the kingdom. He'd have watched Saul lose his kingdom, his legacy, because his son was killed, and his life. And yet when he comes to the Father, he doesn't say, Lord, please don't take my kingdom, please don't kill my son, please don't. He says, please do not take your presence. Because it's of more value to him than all those things. Big deal, friends. What did he understand about the presence of God that we don't? He said, please, because he doesn't want any of those things without God. That's why. He says, I don't want anything without you. To have it without you, I might as well not have it. It was the very reason he got appointed in the first place. He was a worshiper before he was anything. And worshiping God's presence are like this. I hope this is helping you. And I hope it's stirring. And I was praying before today and I said, Lord, if anything, just let a hunger begin to be born, born in, in a heart. Even just two or three, just a hunger. To, be go, to go home because you are righteous. You are free. You have been made away. The temple is, 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 the curtain has been ripped and you have access and you can go in and simply, Lord, I thank you that I'm righteous. I thank you that I'm holy in your sight. I thank you that you have blessed me. I thank you that the blood is still there speaking better things. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you. Oh, Lord, let your presence come upon me. Let me know your presence. Let me know your voice. That's how it starts. People always say to me, teach me to feel the presence of God. I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Because I can show you, I can lay hands on you, and I'm not being arrogant. It's just there's a confidence in God, not in me. I know if I lay hands on you, the Spirit of God will touch your life. You'll, you'll feel Him. But that's not helpful when you go home. My dad lays hands on you. Many people here that lay hands on you, you will sense the presence of God. But then every time there's a problem, that's what creates a crutch. Every time there's a problem, we run back to that person. But God tore the temple open, not for a few. Friends, we have to actually start to believe the Bible, that God is not a respecter of persons. We actually have to believe that. Either you're saved or you're not. And if you're saved, you have access. 
He's not a respecter of persons. Bill Johnson is not special. Now he's the fifth generation, I get that. It's a little easier. But friends, he's not a respecter. The way has been opened. The Bible says when Jesus was baptized that the heavens were opened. They've never closed. And we keep saying this and we keep saying this and people are like, that's great. I'm sorry to be so blunt and honest about it. It's because I get the people sitting in my office and they go, well, that's great. You know, yeah, he spoke about the presence. It's kind of cool. There's such a revelation of a hunger of the presence of God that can come. It'll ruin your life. And I hope it happens to every person in this room. It'll ruin your life. And most people will wait for their life to be okay before they begin to. Well, my husband and I are just going through some stuff right now. I'll deal with that when that's all over. You've misunderstood everything I've just said. That is the answer. Well, my kids are just busy and involved in all of this. That is the answer. Well, I'm just really dealing with this thing I did. That's the answer. It's the answer. It's the presence of the Lord. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your motive. It'll change the way you approach people. It'll change everything about your life. It'll crucify the old man with its thinking. Because the Bible says no flesh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Corinthians 16, 7, I think it is, no flesh shall glory in his presence. When you get into the presence of the Lord, the old man, the old identity dies, and your spirit begins to soar. And that's where good decisions are birthed. Practical, normal, everyday decisions. Because you're in his presence. And the Spirit of God in you begins to soar. And you begin to make different decisions about your wife and your life and your strife and whatever. There was a little rhyme for you. What about Psalm 17? Can we do one more? Psalm 17. This verse is very special to me. It's very quiet in here. I trust that it's quiet because God is speaking to you. Psalm 17, this verse to me is a, uh, I don't want to share the whole story, but this verse is very close to my heart. I went through a very, 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 very tough time in my life for about a year, and I've, I've mentioned it here before, and there were terrible, terrible lies being told about me, and uh, the Lord said to me, don't you tell one person, not one person. And after three or four months, I said, Lord, I can't deal with this, it, and the lies were pretty rough. And I said, I've got to tell someone. And he said, you can tell your parents and two other people. So I told them. And I had, you know, it was easy to know the truth because I had evidence. And then I, but the Lord said, don't tell a single soul. I had just come into a big church. And I was trying to get out of an old life. And people, all these people would not even talk to me or whatever because they were believing stuff that just wasn't true. And I could have justified, defended. The Lord said, not a, not a soul. And I saw a vision of Psalm 17, and I went there, and it says this. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Your presence. That psalm, I read that psalm every day, 10, 15 times a day for about a year. Let my vindication come from your presence. The Lord said, you don't tell one person, not one person, not one person. That your, my vindication will come from his presence. 
And I began to understand that's one of the greatest strategies of warfare that exists in the Bible. And why do I mean that? Most people will just be start. It's, what did I say last week? What was love in the garden became what 180. It became selfish, self-justifying, self-proficient, self-promoting, self-defending. Love became that. So that the church, so we get to places where we can't even say I love you without the do you love me. That's, you know, it's actually saying I need you. And that all happened in the garden and God wants to renew our minds and our hearts so that I don't have to, her to be okay, for me to be okay. And we spoke about that last week. But friends, it's so important because if I'm defending and justifying, God doesn't have an opportunity to vindicate me. So every time a false accusation comes, every time something is said, every time it's an opportunity to learn his presence. See, everyone wants Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, that by his stripes we were healed, or that um, he was wounded for our transgressions, the, the, the twins of salvation, healing and deliverance, sickness uh, and, and sins, and all the powerful stuff about the cross and the whipping post and seeing people healed and seeing people saved. But there's another part in Isaiah 53, which is the atonement. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he was silent. He opened not his mouth. And for any person who is going to walk with God and count for God, that season will come where stuff is said, your reputation goes to, goes to hell, excuse the phrase, it's a real place. Everything goes away and you open not your mouth, you say nothing. That will come. I've been rumored to have affairs, I've seen my dad all my life, rumors, 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 rumors. All my life I've seen it with my parents, one rumor after the next, after the next. And you say nothing. It comes with it. Because why? The vindication of God, He will do a better job than you. And when you step into that place with God, when He is your great reward, you don't have to hide, you have nothing to hide. He knows, you know, that's enough. He will step out and He will vindicate in His time at the right time. And if He never does, you're okay because He loves you and you love Him. And that's enough for you, because I have an audience of one. Why is it such a great strategy of warfare? Because any single time the enemy attacks you, through rumor, through any whatever it is, rumor, reputation, any time the enemy attacks you, if I come to gym and, you know, an enemy can use a person to attack you. And right now you're all thinking of someone. Yeah, this guy, you should know what he did. No, don't do that. So the enemy can use a person to attack you, right? When the attack of the enemy, when your response is worship, friends, if we understood how powerful that was, do you know that somebody said this, blah, 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 and I get the, okay, thank you, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, you know my heart. You've searched my heart, the inward parts. Lord, I love you. I can still love that person. My fight is not against flesh and blood. They must be hurt or something, but Lord, I have nothing against them. May they be blessed. But Father, I just thank you that you see me like this, and I love What's happening? When the attack of the enemy, whatever it is, even your kids, whatever, when the attack of the enemy produces worship, the devil will leave you alone. Why? He will not partner to transform you to the image of Christ. He will not do that. It's the one thing he will not do. So what happens is we go, in Jesus' name, devil, and we come against them. And there's a time for that. But most, a lot of warfare is like the Hulk. The more you fight him, the angrier and greener and bigger he gets. There are some people, and I'm going off here, but I need to explain. There are some who are gifted and called to a life of warfare. Not everyone. My parents are some of those people. 
But friends, if you could just, when the attack comes, if you turn it into worship, the devil will leave you alone. Because it's like, I saw a guy do this, it's like the thing goes around, and you take away the landing strip, and he can't land anymore, because every time he attacks, uh, that's what Paul was doing in prison. They're going to cut his head off, he's singing. Peter, they're going to do this, he's worshipping. And what happens is an earthquake, the whole jail gets saved. When the attack of the enemy makes a response of worship to the Lord, it's the part of the transformation of, of, of you into his image. When that happens, the enemy will not partner with God and he will leave you alone. Please hear that. If you heard anything today, hear that. But it comes from his presence. We can get into a place of his presence. My vindication comes from you. Lord, I just love you. I bless you. I thank you. That doesn't matter. Even if everyone believes it, Lord, my fight is not against flesh and blood. I have an audience of one. Lord, how can I, how can I be a bondservant of Christ if I still live to please men? Galatians 1, and so on and so on. I cannot be a bondservant. I cannot serve you if I'm living for men, but I love you. I've lived to serve men, but I love you. And on you go. And you start to worship out of a place where you've been accused of something that's not even true, that looks a lot like Jesus, and the enemy will leave you alone. Please hear it, friends. Very important. But instead, what do we do? You know what I just heard? Now, I just need to tell you this. I don't like to gossip, but I need to tell you this because I have to be wise. You know the Christian, Christian stuff we throw around. I just want to be wise, and I just want to be sure that I'm covered because, you know, I don't want this person to get hurt. And, hello, and I don't want this to happen and because they, they must be struggling and really in a bad place and so listen if you could just tell the leadership because you know we've just defended ourselves entrusted to him who judges justly not a lot of amens there That's, I'm just kidding I'm just... friends the presence of God I wrote this end with this the presence of God can make you very sober Zephaniah 1 says, be silent in his presence. The presence of God can put a song on your heart. It says we come into his presence with singing. The presence of God can melt impossible situations. You know in the Bible, the Bible speaks of mountains as impossible situations, yes? Psalm 97, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. When you spend time in the presence of God, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your impossible situations start to melt. The Bible says the presence of the Lord dispels the enemy. It says, my enemies shall fall and perish at thy presence. When Gabriel came to Zacharias and Zacharias doubted him, what did he say? I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God, Lord Almighty. <laughs> no further resume needed. No further qualification I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of the Lord God. Settled. He doesn't say anything else after that, neither did Zechariah for a long time. Presence of the Lord. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of the Lord. It's, it's so powerful. I simply ask you, because I only had one week to cover this. Obviously, you all know me. I would love six. Cultivate in your life not a theology about it, not a plan, not a, a desire. 
for him. Because as much as you might be offended and hurt and you don't know, but he says, she said, and I don't understand, yet the Bible says leaping and bounding over the mountains and the hills and trying to look through the lattice to get at you because he loves you. That's how he sees you. He sees you, all of you. He sees all of Jen, all of Aaron, naked, exposed. They were naked, they felt no shame. He sees all of you and he loves you. And he wants to be with you. And he wants to be in your heart. And he wants to touch your heart and your life and your intentions and your desires. And the very thing that you might hate him for, he wants to change because he loves you. And the very thing that you might dislike about that person, man, he wants to teach you to love them. Because he knows it's greater to give than to receive. It's more blessed. He loves you more than you can understand. He's better than you think. And I know I'm normally a teacher and I love to teach line upon line. But this, friend, is not something that you teach. It's something that's caught. It's something that's caught. You catch it from a person's heart. And I, we could go in scripture after scripture. But cultivate a place in your life for his presence, for you and for him. When I used to teach the youth, and you can't really do it with adults because it's weird. When I used to teach the youth for eight years, the first two years, all I did was teach them that God loves them and I taught them about the power and the presence of the Lord. Nothing else. To such an extent that, I mean, actually you guys weren't there, you're too young. But when we used to teach, I used to stop them. And sometimes it was five minutes in, sometimes 20 minutes in, sometimes an hour. We used to stop everything. I say, all right, the presence of God just came into the room in a different way. Who sensed it? Who, who can sense the presence of the Lord? And at first it was like one hand, then two, then three, then four, then five. And eventually, because of their young, they, they, they were just, man, they would just respond to God before I was even aware of God in the place. Yeah? I encourage you, fathers, wives, mothers, cultivate the presence of God in your house, in your home, in your home. It doesn't mean quiet, because if you have little kids, that's impossible. It doesn't mean quiet. It's in, in the heart, in the atmosphere of a home. There's a presence, there's a peace, there's a restfulness. If you just knew how much the Lord loved you, you wouldn't run from Him. You'd run to Him for everything, for everything. And that's all I want to say to you today.